I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 22, verse 24 is where we will begin, and then we'll be reading through chapter 23, verse 11. Um, we're in this place uh, where we are, again, we've, uh, we've seen all that, that Peter and Paul did early on in Acts, and then uh, others, um, such as uh, Philip the Evangelist, um, uh, we saw Stephen, we saw many other figures of faith, and then the, book, the focus of the book of Acts uh, started moving toward what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul and his companions, uh, Saul who became Paul, and, uh, and so we looked at all those missionary journeys, and, and now we're on um, uh, this last section. I mean, here we are, 22, getting into chapter 23. There's only uh, 28 chapters, so we're here in the final leg of, of this walk through uh, the book of Acts. And we're at the place where uh, the people of uh, the Jews in Jerusalem, they were ready to kill Paul. Um, the crowd was just a, a mob action. They were going to beat him up. The Romans arrive on the scene, and uh, they stop beating Paul all of a sudden, start being much uh, nicer. And uh, the Romans try to figure out, well, what's going on here? And they're shouting this and that. Of course, it's contradictory because it's made up untrue stuff that they're trying to accuse Paul of. And, uh, and so Paul uh, is taken into custody but as he is about to enter the barracks, he, he looks over at the commander. He says, may I have a word uh, with these people, my countrymen? And the commander probably thinks maybe if he talks, I'll find out a little bit about more about what's going on. And so he says, sure, go ahead. And so Paul gives a speech. I mean, he begins to give his testimony, his witness, and uh, all is going well until he talks about how God had called him to go to the Gentiles. And his Jewish audience takes that as an offense, an affront to them, and all God has done to, through them. And so they say, get this guy out of here. He's not fit to live. And so at this point in the scripture, we pick up right there in the story, and we see what happens next uh, in Paul's journey. So if you would, please, if you're physically able, please stand as we read Acts chapter 22, and beginning in verse 24. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it costs me plenty. Paul answered, But I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, 
God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. For what kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the, whole, the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees, against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all this. So there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So, they or so he ordered his soldiers to go back and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Let us pray. Father God, uh, as we see Paul here facing trials and tribulations for your sake. God, may you give us strength, courage, and wisdom to face the trials that we encounter as we seek to live our lives for you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. A handful of buddies decided they want to go out and I uh, do some, some hill climbing, rock climbing, mountain climbing, nothing too severe. This is, you know, th this is not Mount Everest here, but it, it was serious enough, and they had gone out climbing, and uh, everything was going well, and, uh, but one of their buddies fell, and, uh, and he was hurt quite seriously. They could not see him. They could hear him from over the cliff as he called out and said, Help, I need help. I cannot climb up. I, I have broken both of my arms. And, uh, and so they decide to lower a rope down to him. And, uh, and they're lowering, the, they start pulling him up. You know, the, the other two or three guys that were on this trip are pulling him up. And uh, they're about halfway, maybe even two-thirds of the way up. And all of a sudden, uh, one of them realizes, he says, Oh, wait a minute. If you broke both of your arms, how in the world are you holding on to that rope? And he hollers up and he says, With my teeth. Some of y'all will get that in a minute. But if you ever have been in legal trouble, you, you might can find a, a parallel there. If you're dealing with the legal system, going through it, you get all sorts of uh, help, advice, questions, whatever, and you're just trying to hang on, and it's not always helpful uh, what people try to do for you. 
But I want us to think this morning uh, some, some general biblical principles to guide you as you're facing legal difficulties. I, I want to give a couple of caveats. First of all, again, this is biblical principles. I'm not giving legal advice at all. Secondly, I can't say everything that the Bible has to say uh, about uh, us facing legal issues. For instance, in other places, Scripture basically tells us we need to be real careful, and if we can avoid going to court, if we can avoid it, uh, in most cases we should, and that could be a whole other sermon but I'm just going to talk about what we see Paul doing here today, three things that we see him doing that give us three principles if you or someone you love, someone in your family, is facing and going through a legal challenge. Three things. First principle, use your rights appropriately. Use your rights appropriately. Now, for some of you, you'll say, well, duh, of course, uh, I, I would never forget that. I'm always going to jump on and use my rights. And I'm probably going to hurt your feelings and say, if you thought that real quickly, if that was your response, then you probably have some trouble in your spiritual life. And let me explain. People who are devoted Christians do not have a rights-first mentality. And so that's why I have to say to Christians, be sure to use your rights appropriately. Because people who are completely, uh, who are devoted, who are fervent in their walk with the Lord, their mentality is not about my rights, you did me wrong, this is my fair share, this is what I ought to get. The man or woman, the boy or girl, who is fervently following the Lord has taken on a servant's mentality. Jesus is my Lord and Master. He's called me to love him with all of my heart, my soul, and my mind, and my strength. And he's called me to love my neighbor as myself. And if you live your life with that kind of mentality, you're not that person always squealing and screaming and fussing and, and saying, oh, my rights, my rights, my rights. And, and so, what I'm really reminding, though, is Christians who are not out there constantly fussing and stirring and, and calling on their rights, I'm reminding those Christians, but there is an appropriate place to use your legal rights. Paul was blessed. Uh, you know, God chose Paul, and, and like everything God does, he does it perfectly. He chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He, did, he picked a man who was, uh, a, a, as the Bible says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That is, he had the greatest uh, Hebrewic training there was available that day. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the most well-known Hebrew scholar of that time period. Uh, he dotted all the I's. He crossed all the T's. He knew all of his stuff. But yet, on the other hand, he was the citizen of Tarsus, a city of half a million people, and he grew up being a Roman citizen. Now, we may not appreciate how that is because we think, well, he was in the Roman Empire. Of course he was a Roman citizen, right? Wrong. The Roman Empire at that time covered a vast area of land, and most of the people within the bounds of the empire were not citizens. There were the lucky few, those who had been born into it, those who had bribed their way into it or somehow been awarded citizenship. But most average ordinary people, not just slaves, but your average free man or free woman was not a citizen and did, did not receive the protection and the rights that were afforded to citizens. And in fact, they assumed that Paul 
wasn't a citizen, that he was some local hick from this, this backwoods country called Israel that was just a thorn in the side of the Roman Empire. The commander, not just the centurion, but the commander or tribune above him, never even thought twice that Paul might have Roman citizenship. And so there as he was stretched out on the rack, they had tied him up. He, they, were, they had bound him, bent him over. They were about to come with the whip. Paul says, uh, wait a minute, let me ask you one question before you swing. Just, just one little thing I want to get clear. Is this okay for you to do to a Roman citizen? And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, everybody drop the whip, okay? Step back, get away. The reality is for them to treat a Roman citizen in that way without them having been found guilty in a legal trial, uh, they could even be put to death. It was that serious to mistreat a Roman citizen. And some of us read these words and we go over them like, oh, he was about to be whipped. Okay, he'd have a couple of scratches or marks. No, no, no. It's better described as scourging. And then that day, it meant at the end of the whip, there'd be several leather thongs hanging out. And in each, the end of each one of these would be a piece of metal or of stone attached. And every time that it went, it flailed. There would be skin ripped off. It was torture that was practiced every day in the Roman Empire against those who were not citizens. And Paul says, wait a minute. That's what you call an appropriate place to use your rights, as Paul did right there. He wasn't going around constantly saying, I'm a Roman citizen. Look at me. I, shouldn't you be proud of me? I'm great. I'm the stuff. But he used his rights appropriately. So first of all, I encourage you as Christians, even though as followers of Christ, we have a serve first mentality. We have a mentality that says consider others better than yourself, that we're, we are servants of the king. We do have rights in this country. We are blessed with them, and we should use them appropriately when needed. Second principle when you're facing uh, biblical uh, legal trouble, excuse me, is be shrewd but sinless. Be shrewd but sinless. Do you know that contrary to popular belief, the Bible, uh, the Bible never encourages or holds up as a standard uh, to be gullible, uh, to be a victim, uh, to be a simpleton, to be naive, however you want to describe it. The Bible never says, oh, be good Christians and float along and, and, and live in this dream world where you don't know what's going on around you. Absolutely not. Now, that is the stereotype often of Christians. You know, the old, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good type of idea. But that's not what the Bible teaches us at all. Look in the Old Testament. You see in Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man uh, in the ancient Near East. What does he see? In Proverbs 122, he says, How long, O simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? Do you understand what he's saying here? He's not talking about people with special needs. Those people are honored, and we take care of them, and our heart and our value and our emotions, those are, those are shown by how we treat people with special needs. No, Solomon is talking about people who are intentionally dumb. They're willfully ignorant, people who just float along, and I, I'd really rather not know what's going on. You know, I'd rather just float through life and let everyone else take care of things for me. 
and uh, just, just hope and pray that it all works out all right. And Solomon says, how long are you going to be insist, insistent on being ignorant like that? And because the idea is that intentional naivety and ignorance will come back to bite us. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs, uh, he who is wise sees trouble and hides himself. That is, removes himself. You see a runaway train, you get out of the way if you got any sense. But if you don't have any sense, you just stand there and say, oh, look, isn't that nice, a train? I love trains. And you let it run you over. We're not to be that way. What about in the New Testament? What does Jesus say? When Jesus sent out his disciples, he gathered them together. He sent them out. And he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, let's think about those two things, sheep and wolves. What are wolves? They're vicious. What are sheep? They're kind of innocent, dumb. What would normally happen if you sent a flock of sheep into a pack of wolves? Total destruction, right? Uh, complete devastation. But Jesus is saying, he's not saying by calling us sheep that we're to be dumb. In fact, he makes uh, clear that we're not to be. He says, be shrewd as serpents, but be innocent as doves. So the idea is, and by the way, shrewd in other translations is also translated as cunning, crafty, or wise. Jesus says that in this world, he's sending us out, and, and we got some options we can see that the world is full of vicious people, wolf-like people, and we can choose to be vicious ourselves. We can say, that's the only way I can make it in this world is to be vicious like everybody else. On the other hand, we can say, oh, no, I'm going to be innocent. And, uh, and, and to the point that we say, I'm just going to float through life. Again, these extremes Jesus warns us about. He says, don't be uh, violent. Don't be out to hurt everybody else and get your own way like the wolves out there. But also, don't be an idiot. Don't, don't be a, a, a blind sheep who just wanders into trouble. He says, be shrewd as serpents. So you and I need to use our brains. We need to be clever. We need to think things through. God gave us these brains for a reason. How does that apply uh, to Paul's situation? Here, what Paul did he, he stands in front of the Sanhedrin, which is what's known this religious council. And Paul knows he's not really going to get a fair trial because none of them really like this bunch of people called Christians who seem to be upsetting the life of these Jews who are already in control and have things the way they want them. But Paul realizes he doesn't have to lie. He doesn't have to uh, twist the truth. But there is a way of presenting his case that is going to help him. You see, what is the, the Bible, what is the, especially Christianity, what does it all boil down to? What is it all about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as Christianity. That is at the heart, that is the very core of what we believe. If you have to narrow it down, say what is, what is the fundamental thing that makes us not just Jews or not just people who follow some ancient teacher, what makes us believe that there is a God out there who sent his son for us? It's about the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, God overcame sin, hell, and the grave. And he proved 
that Jesus was who he said he was. And so Paul says to the crowd here, he says, hey, by the way, I'm on trial for the resurrection. Now, why was that so smart of him to say? Because you had two groups in this Jewish leadership forum that he was in front of. You had the Pharisees who believed, uh, similar to what Christians do, that there's an afterlife and that there'll be a resurrection of the dead. But then there was another group, um, and these were the Pharisees. They were like the scribes, the, the people who really worked with scriptures and copied them, and, and they were popularly known as religious teachers. But then you had the Sadducees. These were like the upper, uh, upper cr- crust, upper class uh, Jewish, uh, the priestly leaders, and they were pretty much sympathetic with Rome because Rome said, hey, we'll let you kind of do your thing. You keep these people calm. You can keep your place of power. And so they were kind of, you know, we like things as they are. We don't want to get anything uh, out of place. And uh, they happen to believe that you live your life, you die, and that's it. There's no afterlife. There's no resurrection. There's no any of that other stuff. Nobody, nobody's going to, you know, exist in a spirit-like form for there to be a resurrection one day because there is no resurrection. That was what they thought. By the way, uh, I, when I was little, I was taught something. It always helped me to remember about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. They didn't believe, okay? So that helps, me, helps us remember the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in an afterlife. So when Paul sees these two different groups, he says, you know what? I guarantee there's one way to get some folks on my side, and that is I'm going to remind them that this is all about the resurrection. And so while these Pharisees normally would have said, we don't care anything about you, Paul, or anything about uh, this man named Jesus, they were forced to defend the idea of the resurrection. They couldn't let that pass and let the Sadducees just say, no, there's no resurrection. And Paul's strategy kept him from being condemned by the whole group. So use your rights wisely or appropriately. Be shrewd but sinless. And third and finally, when you're facing legal difficulties, trust God patiently. Trust God patiently. The trial or appearance, the hearing before the Sanhedrin, it ended in chaos because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were just going after one another. And the commander got so worried about Paul's safety that he pulled him out of there and said, no, uh, we're, we're taking you back to the barracks. And that night, the Bible says, Jesus appeared to Paul. He says, be encouraged, Paul, or some translate it, be of good cheer, Paul. I am with you. I stood by you as you witnessed to me here in Jerusalem, and you're going to be my witness uh, in Rome as well. Now, let us think about what is not assured to Paul right here. <laughs> he is not assured that he's not going to suffer. God didn't say, oh, Paul, it's smooth sailing from here on out. He is not assured that this whole case is going to get taken care of in a timely manner. Paul, don't you worry about it. You know, uh, by, the next year, by next fall, this will all be cleared up. Mm-mm. Nope. That wasn't promised to him. 
And, you know, these are things that we face as we deal with legal situations in our lives. The court system doesn't operate at our speed, our time schedule. It doesn't always give us uh, the verdict or the decision that we want. The encouragement from God is not if you're a Christian, everything will go your way. The encouragement from God is if you're a Christian, I'm with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you're about to go through, how long it gets strung out, what the decision ends up being, I am with you. And so ultimately then, as God reminds Paul, when you're going through these trials and situations, it is not so much important about how all the details work themselves out, is the fact that we conduct ourselves as Christians as we're going through the middle of them. God said, you're my witness here, and you'll be my witness all the way to Rome. In other words, no matter what you face, no matter how you're wronged, no matter how you're hurt, no matter what you go through, remember I'm with you, and remember who you are, that you're mine. Legal stuff is never fun. You're a very strange and weird person if you enjoy going through legal things. But you know what? God is with us. God does not box off our Christianity and say, well, here, this is for this part of life, but there's other stuff like this legal stuff that, no, it's totally on the side. No, God covers us all. He's with us whatever we face. So if you find yourself in difficulty, find yourself a good lawyer, absolutely one who will honor your faith and, and, and work in that way. But remember that ultimately things are in God's hands. He's called on you. To be wise, use your rights when you need to. Use your brain, be clever, (laughs) be smart, use everything God's given you. But ultimately realize what it's all about is God. Remembering that he's with you and that he's called you to live for him whatever you're facing. Would you pray with me today? God, we come to you and... Lord, some of the most frustrating situations in life can come uh, through lawsuits, uh, through disputes over inheritances, through uh, divorces, uh, all sorts of other legal situations that we face and we go through. And, And God, they're tough. They're frustrating. We get hurt. We feel like we've been abused or we feel like our life's been put on hold or, or other things that we're going through. And God, I, it's not at all unchristian, I don't think, to say it stinks to be in that place. It's not fun. But yet, Lord, we always have hope as Christians, whatever we're facing, wherever we're going through. Lord, help us to be wise, to please and honor you no matter what we're facing in your life in our lives. And Father, we pray for um, those who are going through these situations that you'd give them an extra measure of your strength and grace and mostly your presence, God, that you're with them. You will continue to be with them wherever they go, whatever they face. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.